In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece that really strikes, I think, at the heart of one of the cornerstones of being diagnosed with cancer young. And that's what it's like to face your mortality when death and illness are alien concepts to your friends and colleagues simply because they have not yet lived long enough to have experienced these things or to have experienced them in such a personal way. Today, we'll talk about when you are literally the only one in your friend or work group that has had to deal with something as serious as cancer. My guest today came face to face with what this new reality looks like one sunny afternoon in San Francisco, a day that was like many others she'd experienced, a lovely day in the park with friends, only now it was different because she had seen a new side of life and was forever changed. And that change opened up a distance between her and her friends. I'm often asked why Wildfire Magazine focuses on the stories of those diagnosed with breast cancer young. I sometimes get frustrated when I have comments in my inbox that say, cancer doesn't care how old I am. Why do you? I mean, I get it. I really do. Cancer can come along at any age. Cancer truly doesn't care how old you are. But here's the thing. When cancer comes in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, there is some significant differences than when it finds you long after your career's been established, maybe your marriage is solid, your kids are grown up. When you've been around the block a few times helping others face their own major traumas and illnesses, it's different when you face it yourself. But when cancer comes along and you're still trying to figure out who you are, your place in the world, your friends have literally never seen what a major illness looks like, Well, you really, really need some resources on your side. You need to know how others are dealing with this and how they're building bridges to maintain those relationships. My guest today is Kira Hodson. Kira was diagnosed at 31 with stage 3 estrogen-positive and progesterone-positive breast cancer. She's a designer, a writer, a maker living in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., Today, Kira is here to read a piece she wrote for Wildfire Magazine's 2021 Bay Area Young Survivors issue. Before moving up to Oregon, Kira spent two years living in San Francisco, and it was here that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Our Bay Area Young Survivors issue was an issue in which we showcased the young women of the Bay Area and their stories. Today's story is the story of one woman asking the question, can we still be friends when I know the truth about how fragile life can be? Welcome to The Burn, Kira. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. So you're reading a piece you wrote called A Fragile Invincibility. After you read, we'll talk about how illness affects our friendships. And those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's story. 
All right, Kira, I'll let you take it away. Awesome. Thank you so much, April. A fragile invincibility. It was not the words they said, but rather the look in their eyes that suggested they were terrified of me. They were my coworkers and friends from before I was diagnosed. It was a month after I started chemo and I was spending the afternoon at Dolores Park in San Francisco. We sat on overlapping blankets and passed around bags of tortilla chips, those blissful pre-pandemic moments of close proximity. The air was filled with the scent of wet earth and weed. I basked in the February sun and then the sweet normalcy radiating from my friends. I hadn't been out since my last infusion and the park offered a reprieve for my small apartment. In the weeks before I had lost my hair, almost 20 pounds for my body and most of my energy. I had two emergency room visits under my belt, one of which landed me in the hospital with sepsis for three nights. An afternoon in the sun with friends felt like heaven. I ran my hand over the smooth grass, occasionally pulling out little clumps. Animated chatter from groups around us created an environment of community and joy. I was thrilled to be a part of this scene, a scene so different than the infusion floors and doctor's offices I had frequented. It was the first time most of my coworkers had seen me since I began treatment. Our conversations were punctuated with talk about side effects like nausea and fatigue or painful realities like chemo and menopause, realities that were beginning to feel routine yet still devastating to me. My friends listened, their faces changed, their brows furrowed, their mouths turned downward, their eyes filled with fear and disconnect and discomfort. Occasionally they said, I'm so sorry, or God, really? But mostly they just changed the conversation. The sun beat down and my scalp began to sweat under my scarf. I untied the knot and unraveled it. My friends glanced nervously at my bald head, then looked away. I felt self-conscious, but it was hot and the cool air felt refreshing. Eventually, a woman walked to our group and offered pre-rolls and shrooms. As she listed off a variety of drugs she was offering, she looked at me and said, I shaved my head once when I was young. It's so liberating, isn't it? It looks great on you. Liberation was the opposite of what I felt. I felt imprisoned, confined by my is and lack of choices, by the path I had been forced down because of a diagnosis. Thanks, I said with a half smile. I actually have cancer. The last few words tumbled from my lips before I could stop them. They hung in the suddenly quieted air. Time was sluggish. The woman fumbled through an apology and my friends looked away. Someone laughed nervously. I reassured the stranger that her apologies were unnecessary, but no one from my crew made eye contact with me. Maybe I should have just left it with thanks, I thought. I realized my faux pas. I had introduced my harsh reality to ears that were not ready to hear it. After the woman walked away, my friends moved on to other topics of conversation. Complaints about the intensity of work, dates that ended awkwardly, a new bar that opened down the road. And in between their sentences were the looks, the looks that said, I am afraid of you. I'm afraid of what you represent. At 31, I now represent the possibility of death, disease. I am a walking, breathing reminder that we, the young and healthy, are not as invincible as we thought. 
It was in this moment when I understood that I no longer belonged to their world of carefree existence and blissful ignorance of imminent decay. My reality threatened their innocence before they were ready to let it go. But I had been a part of their world just months before. I too was ignorant to the betrayal of which my body was capable. After my diagnosis, I was forced over a threshold that separates the healthy from the less fortunate. A threshold that taught me the truth about how fragile my body really was. A threshold that I could not go back over. For the remainder of the afternoon, I talked less. I tried my best to remember what it was like when my greatest stress was my workload rather than a fear of death. My fatigue finally caught up to me and I walked home holding tight to the realization that I was much different than my peers. I have since found comfort within my cancer community. I cherish those who do not inch from topics like infertility, hot flashes, and chemo pills. In just a few words, I feel seen and heard and understood. At the same time, I hold space for my other friends' innocence. I acknowledge that they cannot fully understand the burden I carry because they are not part of my world. But now, when I see their fear, I keep talking. I can create tiny little windows into my world, little bridges built with empathy and compassion. The people around me who love me may not realize the truth about the world I live in, and that's okay. Because when I talk about my experiences, I peel myself apart and I show them the inner workings of disease. And perhaps this gesture will shorten the distance between their world and ours. Mm, thank you so much for that, Kara. Thank you for reading as well as writing such a powerful piece. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, you and I will chat about loss of innocence and bridging gulfs of illness between friends. Um, but let's take a quick break and you can take a sip of water, catch your breath. Sounds good. My name is Angela Furman. I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer when I was 33. And during my treatment, I had started writing a lot to try to heal and find meaning in my experience. And when I found wildfire, I just felt seen. And the beautiful and personal stories made me feel safe and emboldened to share my own story. And through being published and writing alongside other women, I've gained so much confidence in my writing and in sharing my story. And probably most importantly, Wildfire has allowed me to connect with other women who have inspired me and encouraged me, and I know they will be lifelong friends. Welcome back, Kira. Thank you again for your powerful and insightful writing. I want to um, bring us back to a moment earlier in your story. So this was when the woman approached your group and complimented you on your shaved head. She says, it's so liberating, isn't it? It looks great on you. And you tell her that actually you have cancer. And what I love about that is that I think many of us can relate to the two sides of the coin that you're showing here. You know, so many of us have been complimented on changes to our bodies that were not our choosing, something that was thrust upon us by cancer. And secondly, I think many of us know what it's like to kind of accidentally thrust our reality back on an unsuspecting person. So I just want to ask you, did that moment change how you shared your story going forward? Um, or maybe just if it 
yeah, I guess that's it. If it changed something for you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, that moment wasn't the first that I kind of blurted out that I had cancer. Um, I think the thing that made this moment different than the others is seeing the reaction from my friends and recognizing that I was sharing something about my life that was really uncomfortable for a lot of people to hear. Um, Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, it changed it for a short period of time that I maybe didn't share that piece of me as readily. Um, But ultimately, I kind of used that as Hmm. Maybe uh, a reason to share it more that that maybe I thought that people don't talk about this enough and they don't don't kind of like share the really painful experiences that they've had and that I had an opportunity to be brave and and share those things. Um, And so I think after that, I actually ramped up, you know, my communication on Instagram and the way that I talked to strangers and my friends about. Uh, my diagnosis and my treatments and, and just recognizing that it was really scary, but that I had an opportunity. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I'm really glad that you brought up Instagram because I know that you're a visual artist. And when we published this story, we included a lot of pictures of you with it. These were really raw, vulnerable pictures you had taken. You have um, scars, obviously, surgical drains. Your hair is still, you know, very, very short at that time. And so although your piece obviously is a, a written piece, coupling it with those pictures was really powerful. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about sharing visibly your story in Instagram and maybe how that helped your friends see it maybe in a different way. Yeah, I love taking photos. Um, And photography has always been a way for me to understand the world around me. And so when I was diagnosed with cancer, I took a lot of photos of the changes my body was going through. And um, just the simple act of taking those pictures helped me process my experience and what was happening to my body. Um, sharing those photos was a completely different experience and it was a further processing for myself. Um, but it was also incredibly empowering. I think it felt in a lot of ways, cancer is this experience that you lose all control. You, you find out things that you didn't know was possible and you just completely lose control of your body and your life. Um, taking photos and sharing those photos with my community was a way that I felt like I could regain a lot of that control. Um, It was terrifying. Um, I think showing your own body and showing the changes that you don't necessarily like um, was really, really scary, but it did help build so much empathy with my friends and the community that I found on Instagram. And I had a lot of people write me and say, and my friends also tell me, Um, You know, you sharing your experience and your images and your words has helped me understand what my mom went through or what, you know, my relative or my friend went through. And and so I think that was uh, that was incredibly special to me. That was that that meant a lot. Um, And I think it also helped people understand what the experience of cancer is um, and and see it 
I think there's a lot of times that we cover ourselves up with scarves and don't show our scars. And, um, and I think it was an opportunity for me to just show the reality of cancer. And, and that was, uh, that was empowering to myself and to other people in my community and a moment, uh, for other people to learn about what, what the experience is like. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, there's a disconnect between what real breast cancer awareness is and, you know, the reality of it. And anytime we can help, paint that picture, it does build so much more empathy or at least gives the opportunity for more empathy to exist. I mean, it's like they say how we really have no idea what someone is dealing with and everyone is dealing with something, whether you can see it or not. So yeah, I want to come back to this part at the end of your story where you talk so succinctly about this very thing. You say, I hold space for my friend's innocence. I acknowledge that they cannot fully understand the burdens I carry because they are not part of my world. But now when I see their fear, I keep talking. I can create tiny little windows into my world, little bridges built with empathy and compassion. And the people around me who love me may not realize the truth about the world I live in. And that's okay. Because when I talk about my experience, I peel myself apart and show them the inner workings of the disease. And I like that so much because I think that's also, I mean, that's a joint power of writing and photography or any kind of art that shows the human experience. And um, it's it made me realize when I was thinking about your story, you know, we called it or you called it the, you know, fragile invincibility. But what I really think happened here in this transformation of what you went through and the writing of your story and the sharing of your story was you gained a, a, a strength from literally that vulnerability, you know? And, um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and just the strength that actually comes. And you talked about sharing your stories was kind of, or sharing your pictures rather was kind of that experience for you. But did you gain a strength you didn't expect to in reclaiming your story? Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into writing and um, taking control of your story in a way of, of changing the narrative, or at least, um, yeah, taking control of the narrative. Um, I am the type of person that will never say that cancer was a gift. I, I hate that I got cancer and I hate cancer. Um, the experience of navigating cancer and then also processing it and um, just learning what exactly I was capable of in terms of getting through uh, through treatments, but also, um, yeah, maybe owning it a little bit and owning it through writing. I, that was a strength. I mean, that was, that, that is something that I am proud of um, and that I am incredibly grateful and thankful for. Um, yeah, I think I think that it all kind of began when I started taking pictures and writing and sharing those those images and those words um, as a way to to control my narrative, to to regain my narrative um, and build strength and and resilience. Absolutely. Well, I think it's really an interesting um, kind of full circle that doing this kind of work allows because your friend saw you at a very vulnerable time. You uh, exposed them to a fragility that they didn't 
realize could happen to someone our age, you know, and then to take control of that narrative and build it in a way that gave you more control over it. Yeah, I'm with you. It's not cancer is not a gift. I don't see silver linings either, but I do think this opportunity to control it through vulnerability is almost this like kind of magic that can happen when you go through something like that and then become the observer, become the narrator, become the photographer. You know, you just you step outside the trauma in a way that lets you decide what's the story here? How am I going to retell this and reshape it for myself? Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly it. And I was really, um, I was really scared to write this story. I was really nervous that I would offend my friends. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of sharing and being vulnerable and being raw about your experiences is that it, it may offend somebody and it may you know, make someone feel sad, maybe. Um, but I think what's really, really important to remember is that they didn't do anything wrong. Uh, you know, like, like, they just they had never experienced anything like this either. And, um, and I think holding space for their own experiences and their kind of ability or inability to show up without judging that as good or bad um, is really important in in kind of controlling that narrative and being uh, vulnerable and yeah, getting your story out there because it is important. Well, and the truth is none of us can escape hard things. So I think you did a great service to to others by being so visible because now they have a little bit of a roadmap, you know, when something like that comes along for them. And again, just builds that empathy and hopefully makes at least the breast cancer world better for someone else diagnosed after us. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Thank you so much. Kira. Thank you, April. Yeah. So Kira was my guest today. Her piece was called a fragile invincibility. It's in the February, March, 2021 issue of wildfire magazine. This is called the Bay area young survivors issue. Kira, where can people find you online and learn more about you? Yeah. I, um, my Instagram is simply my name. So it's Kira Hodson, um, K I R A. H-O-D-G-S-O-N. Um, I have a couple pieces on Medium under the same name. Um, but yeah, I, I spend a lot of time on, on Instagram. So that's probably my, my first place. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you again. I'm April Stearns and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's guest and story. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode and to find out more about the 30 issues, 30 plus issues in our wildfire archives now and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. So finally, dear listener, here is the writing prompt inspired by today's story. This is a two-parter. For each part, you'll set your timer for eight minutes and write without stopping or editing. Honestly, keep that hand moving. There's magic in leaning into the time. And remember, there's no right or wrong answer for how to answer these. 
So part one is a list and the prompt is the worlds that I live in or have lived in. And this is about creating that window into your experience, a window into the world that you live in. So you probably have lots and lots of worlds. Maybe you live in a world where you're the oldest of your sibling group, or maybe you live in the breast cancer world, or maybe you live in a world of another illness. For me, I live in the world of breast cancer, but get in I live in the world of breast cancer, but getting even more specifically, I live in the one-breasted world of women who were diagnosed young. So I want you to get as specific as you can when you make your list of worlds that you inhabit. And then for part two, take us into a day in the life of one of your worlds. Set the scene. What is a day like in that world? Again, write for eight minutes without stopping. See what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.